Good morning and welcome to another edition of Conversation here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. It's going to be a chilly WIP day, so no matter where you go, take us with you because always be hot conversation to help you stay warm. And when we come back in just a bit, sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying and sometimes maybe you have to cry. I don't know. But in any case, my next guest is going to have a lot to say about the need to laugh. Her name is Jen Epstein. Her new book, Don't Get Too Excited. Don't get too excited and a whole lot more because we're coming right back here with conversation on 94 WIP, all sports radio. My name's Peter Solomon. More in just a bit. And we're back. It's conversation. My name's Peter Solomon. It's 94 WIP, all sports radio. And we're going to talk with author Jen Epstein. Her new book, Don't Get Too Excited. Good morning, Jen Epstein. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Why shouldn't we get too excited? (laughs) I always like to manage my expectations. (laughs) Um, And uh, I want to leave a little bit of a taste for the reader. Um, So (laughs) by not getting too excited, uh, you're leaving room for uh, (laughs) to get very excited. (laughs) All right. Now, some people are born with the glass being half full. Others are born with the glass being half empty. And there's even others who are born, not only is the glass half empty, but it's cracked and dirty. Which are you? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Probably between glass half empty and cracked and dirty, but with uh, (laughs) uh, looking for ways to clean it at all times. (laughs) All right. Don't get too excited. It's really a book about the human foible of expecting the worst, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, It's about expecting the worst, but working towards the best. Do you believe the best is possible? Um, I think with a lot of work, the best is possible, absolutely. Um, You know, I certainly came from points where I was in in crisis periods, but uh, with each day, uh, things got a little bit better. Um, and uh, I, I definitely think that um, there's no reason to feel hopeless. All right. But optimist, pessimist, that's another thing we're talking about because it all mixes in there together. Which are you? Yes. Um, I think it varies from day to day. <laughs> Um, I like to be an optimist, but uh, a pragmatist at the same time. So the pessimism comes in through that. Okay. Um, you think, though, pessimism is born or made? Um, hmm. uh, I think it depends. I think it can be born. It, it can be based on... Um, geneticism, it can be based on environment, um, uh, family environment and home and, um, living environment. Uh, but, um, I think that it can, I think that if it is born, I, I don't think that it's necessarily, um, uh, permanent. I think that there's absolutely always reason, um, to move towards optimism. 
All right. Um, as a child, among other things, you were worried that your u- uvula, uvula <laughs> yes, was going to break off and you were going to swallow it. Now, that's that little thing in the back of your throat that hangs yes. out with your tonsils. Yes. Where'd, where'd that fear come from? Uh, I don't know because, you know, with OCD, it's always an irrational fear. Um, I think that I just looked at it in the back. I I happened to open my mouth and saw this thing hanging out there and I thought, well, (laughs) what, what, who's to say that it won't just break off? It's just dangling there. So why, why, why wouldn't it be possible for me to swallow it? Even though, (laughs) you know, any, (laughs) uh, you know, any scientific or medical research would say, nope, it's, it's not going anywhere, and it's, it's an insignificant orifice. <laughs> so there's nothing, even if it did, it wouldn't be an issue. But, um, but with OCD, uh, the irrational will always uh, hold you, <laughs> uh, it, it holds you captive until, uh, until someone says to you, it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. You've 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 lived this long with this thing hanging in the back of your throat, and nothing's happened. So uh, you'll live another fifty years with this thing hanging in the back of your throat. But did you believe them? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I because that's that's the irrational aspect of OCD. Um, no matter how many times somebody tells you it's fine, um, you're skeptical. It doesn't mean that it's absolutely unproven, you know. I mean, it's, you know, eventually you'll start to break down a little bit. The skepticism starts to wear away. But, um, but certainly the first time that someone says to you, you're fine, <laughs> you're like, you, you have to say, but am I really fine? I mean, who's to say that I won't be that one in 1,000 case, that point zero 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 percent that I could be that first case where it does actually matter? <laughs> it's a dirty job, but someone has to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay. Um, you mentioned obsessive-compulsive disorder. You are, yes. in fact, a sufferer, correct? Yes, yes that's correct. How old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, well, I actually wasn't diagnosed until um, I was a young adult at the age of 21. But there were definitely telltale signs from a very early age. Um, uh, I definitely um, struggled with anxiety, you know, pretty much <laughs> from the time I came out of the womb, I like to joke. <laughs> but, you know, from a very early age, from, you know, four, five, six years old, um, I was already experiencing anxiety um, at levels where, you know, that's, it's, it wasn't common for a child to be experiencing anxiety. Um, but, uh, but, until, but I wasn't formally diagnosed until I was 21. And, you know, I suspect that if um, I had got, undergone some form of cognitive behavioral therapy where, you know, there was some um, exposure and prevention therapy that that probably would have 
help to stave off some of the symptoms. Um, but, you know, by the time I was 21, um, I had just done an internship and had lived in, you know, a communal dorm setting and, um, and was, you know, sort of going through this self-negation process that I wasn't, you know, that I hadn't actually earned with merit to be in that internship. So things started to exasperate. And that was, that was uh, when I was doing undergraduate work. So that was at a time where it's common for, um, for diagnosis to, to occur. What'd your parents think about all this, especially when you were a kid? Well, uh, I was raised by two mental health professionals, <laughs> so they had a lot to think about it. Um, you know, this was a time in the 70s where um, it was just becoming more common to, um, you know, to sort of uh, uh, perseverate over um, – the different childhood maladies like um, like uh, hyperactivity disorder and learning disabilities and um, attention deficit disorder, all the stuff that all the labels um, that was at a time where it wasn't as common <laughs> for the schools to be labeling or or prescribing medication, but it was just sort of in its infancy stage for that. Um, so, um, but, you know, in terms of my parents, uh, I was pretty much in therapy from a very early age, um, either uh, occupational physical therapy or um, talk therapy with a, a child psychiatrist. So, um, you know, <laughs> one of my parents' colleagues usually. Um, so, you uh, you know, I mean, I think that they tried to um, expose me to different situations. Like, for example, I talk about in the book how I had this fear of electric fences. Um, however, we didn't live anywhere near an electric fence. There was uh, no reason for me to be concerned about anything happening with electric shock. But, you know, we would drive by an electric fence and they would say, see, nothing happened. Everything's fine. So it's, um, that's, that's a, a common form of, of um, exposure um, prevention therapy um, that, uh, that works for a lot of cases in OCD. Now, besides OCD, though, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, learning disabilities, too? Yes. <laughs> yep, I got the double whammy. <laughs> Um, and I think that the I think that the anxiety was um, uh, you know I think that the two and two worked in worked in hand um, because uh, I sensed that there was something different about me. I sensed that there was something different about me in school between between the other kids on the playground um, because I had what was called um, uh, um, perceptual. Um, uh, uh, impairment. Um, so it, it, it uh, affected some of my gross fine motor coordination skills. So, you know, like 
swinging across the monkey bars at the on the um, school playground. That was or um, buttoning buttoning a shirt or tying my shoes. You know, those were all things that were difficult. Where you know the other kids were, you know, all progressing at at the um, at what was considered the um, the normal rate. Um, but for me, I struggled with these things, and I, you know, I noted that there was something different about me. Um, I also struggled with math and science. Um, so, you know, when the other kids in my class were, uh, you know, learning uh, <laughs> 2 plus 2 plus 4 plus 6, <laughs> I, I, I had trouble getting past 2 plus 2. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I was also a very, um, uh, a very uh, voracious reader. Um, you know, even though it took me a little bit longer to to get on track, um, you know, I loved language and um, and I um, I would really just devour books. Once I started to read, I couldn't put them down. So there was always something all these noted disparities um, between the, the, my, my rate of, um, of learning. And, you know, this was definitely something that caused anxiety for me. And you're listening to Conversation here on 94WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Jen Epstein, writer and a whole lot more. Her new book, Don't Get Too Excited. She writes about herself, her foibles, to educate, to amuse, to enlighten. Jen, um, some people have a kid like you and think, oh, my kids are close. Other people, though, saw what your parents saw. What do you say to those parents who think their kids are close? I'm sorry, their kids are what? Close. <laughs> um, what do you say? Um, <laughs> Uh, you, you know, you, you say that, you know, your, your, your kids are fine. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit different, but they'll, um, they'll, they'll catch up to the train and, um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's no reason for them to feel, uh, like they're, like there's any, like there's any reason that they won't be as successful as that other child. Well, um, you certainly did get the double whammy in that learning disabilities is much more a thing for little boys than little girls. Yeah, um, I guess I guess that's true. Um, I think it depends on on the type of learning disability. Also, um, uh, you know, certainly I I have heard that um, that uh, ADHD. And ADD are more common in boys than they are in girls, but um, there's there's certainly plenty of girls who um, who are are diagnosed with one form of of learning disabilities or another, um, dyslexia or um, uh, you know uh, other forms of um, you know uh, occupational therapy issues. Um, it, it it definitely affects both boys and girls. Now, given this whole background, how did you trip into writing? How did you t- come to write? Don't get too excited. 
Um, so the way that I came to write this book was actually I was a member of a writer's group. Um, uh, a few of my coworkers started a writer's group. We were looking for a creative outlet where, um, you know, to get away from all the memos and the emails and the phone calls and be able to, you know, tap into, tap into our creative juices. As, <laughs> and, um, you know, I was pretty terrified because as, as it was, I already worked in a creative culture. Um, I worked in television. Um, so I was already working with really creative people. And so I was very <laughs> obviously nervous, <laughs> as I always am, um, about uh, and worried about how I would be received. But, um, you know, I, I walked into one of our conference rooms and I read a few paragraphs that I had scrawled out 20 minutes before we we convened and um you know I was writing about <laughs> I was writing about uh shoes I was writing about um recovering from plantar fasciitis it's a you know a painful <laughs> um condition in with the in the heel spur and the foot and um and I was just writing about how I hated having to wear these orthotics in my shoes and I thought this is like you know, the most mundane subject, people are going to, their eyes are going to roll over. Um, and as it turned out, people were really intrigued. Um, they were able to relate. It was more about identity and, and getting older. And people, you know, really responded to what I had to say. And, you know, from there, things just really evolved. Um, you know, I started um, writing pieces um, about, about identity, um, for, um, a number of years, we started meeting in 2012. So a lot of these essays, um, were in their skeleton form, um, through that group. And then, um, uh, I entered a contest and won a national competition and that's how the original manuscript was born. Now, what is there about shoes, though? What is there about shoes? Yeah. Well, I believe that um, that shoes are really a metaphor for life. You know, they, they get worn down. The soles start to fall off. Um, they carry, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of weight with our, um, you know, they're really a character of their own. Um. And uh, I think that shoes always tell a story um, about our, you know, our, our struggles and our, and our happiness as well. Um, you know, I write about my, my collection of Converse All-Stars, which were my, <laughs> my favorite shoes. Um, I had them in every single color except for bubblegum pink and cream white because um, I wasn't into the more girly, <laughs> the more girly colors. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that shoes really define our character um, and our identity. It's interesting to me, Jen, because as you're talking and hearing about shoes as an example, you remind me a lot with your humor of Jerry Steinfeld. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've been uh, people have, have mentioned Seinfeld, Seinfeld, and and Woody Allen. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the Jewish neuroses kind of thing. So, <laughs> okay. Um, hospitalization though. 
Yeah. Sometimes you're in the hospital and you're not to have visitors. That happened to yeah. you, didn't it? Uh, I had visitors. Um, <laughs> I had plenty of visitors from, from the uh, medical staff. Uh, I had visitors coming in. <laughs> I wouldn't even call them. Vi- <laughs> they were unwanted visitors coming in to take my vitals every three hours. Um, and uh, and then there were um, <laughs> there was my <laughs> uh, you know my my mom was there um, for several several hours a day. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I had some visitors. But um, it was a, a, a very challenging experience because my one of my big triggers with OCD is fear of germs, fear of contamination. Um, so being in a hospital environment where I was surrounded by germs and medical waste and um, people, you know, taking my blood uh, and sticking me with IVs, um, it was it was a very challenging experience. What got you through? Um, I you know I think that there's definitely a survivor in me, um, and I think with OCD that even when you are really challenged, um, you know you really um, it's it's the the experiences that really actually do challenge us are the ones that you rise to, even though you have all these irrational fears and um, of diseases that, you know, (laughs) that you're at a less than 1% chance of of getting. um, When you actually have to go through those life experiences that are the most challenging, um, that's when you, that's when you rise to the challenge. Um, so I think that I had that survivor spirit in me that I was able, you know, I was able to make it. Um, and I think, you know, there was, <laughs> there was enough to live for that I just wanted to get out of that hospital and, and, you know, see my friends again and go back to work again. Um, well, that's so. a good, that's a good thing, certainly. Now let's talk about high school because high school also was a challenging time for you, I think. Yes, it was. <laughs> two years of high school in Israel? Yes, two years in, in Israel, my junior and senior year of high school. How'd that happen? Uh, so that happened um, because that was the option that was offered to me. I really wanted to leave my small town, <laughs> um, suburban high school existence, Um and that was the option that was offered to me was to, um, to study abroad in Israel and further my Jewish education. Um, so, yeah, so I took it. <laughs> no fear of desert germs or <laughs> terrorist bombs? Um, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I do talk about in the book how you know, again, I don't want to say that there was any one particular circumstance that um, uh, sped up my my symptoms. Um, but I think that certainly there were aspects of this was dorm living at an earlier age. Um, so, and it was, uh, you know, hiking in conditions where we were 
hiking in 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 muck and guck and you know grime um you know we did all these hikes all over the country and um uh and um you know the communal living and you know having to use this thing called a squeegee which is like sort of like a a combination mop and broom to you know clean out all the hair and the drain <laughs> Um, and, you know, having to do, having to have my laundry done with, you know, batches of, you know, you know, 300 other boarding students and having my clothes thrown in with their clothes. Um, I think that there were definitely, in terms of the communal living, there were definitely challenges to that. I had two or three roommates at a time. Um, so it was <laughs> all of our dirt <laughs> co-mingling together. Um, I think that, and I, I didn't really, you know, if that wasn't at a time where the fear of cont contamination was as prevalent yet. Um, but I think that that kind of, I think, I, I have theories that that sped up some of the symptoms. But your mother wasn't there to help, or your father weren't there to help you get through. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we had, you know, I had to... <laughs> We had a, a full full staff of, um, you know, what was called a house mother and what was called sort of a um, uh, a, a counselor um, and a, a guidance counselor, and then just all of the other teaching staff who were, you know, most of them were residents or lived in in the area. Um, and then that's another thing that I that I talk about is. Um, you know, having a host family to go to on, on some weekends and, you know, just sort of that, you know, being integrated into somebody else's home who, you know, English wasn't their, their first language. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of this, um, uh, you know, impacted um, the symptoms, but yeah, I mean, Certainly, there were guidance counselors on hand who, you know, were available to talk. Um, but it, it certainly, it's, you know, the whole in loco parentes in place of parents, that's not, it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the same thing. How about boys? <laughs> How about boys? <laughs> in high school? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I struggled a lot also with body image. Um, so, you know, in addition to the learning disabilities, in addition to the the the, the anxiety, um, you know, there was also body image. So, um, you know, with boys, it it was challenging. Um, I I never quite knew what to think of myself or you know, how, how any boy could be attracted to me. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I certainly had a lot of friends who were boys, and, you know, sometimes it developed into more. It wasn't, um, it wasn't yeah. easy being you, was it? <laughs> Is it easy being any of us? But <laughs> no, um, it, it, you know, it's it, it wasn't easy, um, certainly. Um, uh, and, you know, I think that having writing as an outlet, um, you know, really helped that. 
and developing a sense of humor about what some of your your shortcomings or your challenges are, um, you know, really helps you to develop perspective on on seeing yourself yourself in a holistic, full manner. And you're listening to Conversation here on 94 WIP. My name's Peter Solomon, and it's a chilly WIP morning here in 94 WIP. So no matter where you go, take us with you for good conversation. This morning, our first good conversation is with author Jan Epstein. Her new book, Don't Get Too Excited. It's a story of fables. It's a story to make you laugh, maybe even cry a little. I'm not sure. And a whole lot more. My name's Peter Solomon. Is there a Mr. Jen? Uh, no, there okay. is not a Mr. Jen. <laughs> okay. Obviously, then no kids. Yes, no kids. That's correct. How would you deal with it, though, if you had kids? Especially if they turned out like you. Not that that's a bad well, thing. <laughs> well, I, I write about this as well. Um, y- you know, um, I, you know, that's, that's in one of the chapters I talk about what would happen, you know, would I want to expose my child to all of these struggles that I've had? Um, is there any, you know, proof that this is what would happen? You know, maybe my kid would say, hey, relax, <laughs> I'm fine. And I'd have to convince, I'd have to, I'd constantly be questioning, is that kid, uh, is that kid just trying to, you know, <laughs> humor me (laughs) Um, and you know they're really not as okay but they're you know afraid to to feel anything uh, you know to feel any anxiousness because then that would cause me more anxiousness you know Um, and uh, you know I there's also the you know of course the concerns about contamination and how do you deal with all of the the dirty diapers and the the, um, the spit up, <laughs> you know, how would I handle that? Um, but you know, there's also the part of me that says, you know, every parent makes mistakes. Um, that's part of the badge of badge of honor. And so, um, you know, <laughs> these kids come through it. You know, and uh, so would it really be that bad? Um, you know, do I really have so much to be concerned about? Kids are more, are, would my kid be more resilient than I, than I give them credit for? Um, so there's all of those things that I do consider in, in, in one of these chapters. And, um, you know, and I talk about, is there ever a right time? Um, and then, you know, is there, is there really ever a right time? No, there isn't. So, you know, these are all risks that you take. But, you know, it's not, that's not going to change. I mean, it might change with circumstances like financial circumstances, you know. If I um, started earning more of an income, then I would feel more financially comfortable to take care of a kid. But, you know, there's always going to be all the other challenges to consider. And so is there ever a right time? No, there isn't. So why wait? Um, So I've you know, exploring my options in a, in a, in a managed, in a managed way. It's such an unpredictable world though. Yes, it is. 
that's correct. <laughs> it, it is an unpredictable world. So, again, there is no right time. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, all of us, you know, especially, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, but, you know, certainly millennials um, have a lot of concerns about, about, the, about the changing world and, and bringing a child into it. So, you know, these are all things that we have to consider, but they're, <laughs> it's, it's uh, other than financially or if, um, you know, bringing a, a spouse or a partner into the, into the picture, there, there's always going to be, there's always going to be risk, no matter what. <laughs> Amen to that. Jen, I want to, stepping back for a minute into the, and onto a larger question that intrigues me. Why get naked in, not figuratively, only figuratively, and write this book and put yourself out there in all your foibles? Um, because I really want to normalize this condition for people. There are a lot more people who struggle with this condition than, than may know it. And my goal was through humor and through exposing all of my quote unquote inner demons. Um, I, you know, my hope is that people will feel more inclined to seek treatment um, and not stay in the shadows. Um, you know, my goal is to say, look, if I can survive, anybody can survive. Still have your parents? Have my parents survived? No. Do you still have your parents now? Are they alive? Oh, yes. Uh, yes, they are. They are both still living. What do they think of the book? <laughs> uh, my mother, I, I like to quote, says, next time write a novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, they know that, that nothing in it is, is, is false. These are, you know... Um, regardless of whether it's from my perspective and my memory, these are, um, these are all things that happened. Um, so there's nothing in there that, that tarnishes them, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> that's, that's, that's another risk that, you know, a lot of people who write memoirs do it after, after their, their families pass, um. So that was certainly something that I had considered, and you know, I had talked to my mom um, about this several times as I was going through the writing process. Um, and you know, things are sometimes a little bit contentious, but we 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 joke about it. You know, that's why she said, you know, next time write a novel. <laughs> I don't want to be in your next book. It's like duly noted. <laughs> you won't be. <laughs> how about how about your dad? What he think? Um, so we're, uh, we're, we're really, uh, pretty much estranged right now, um, for uh, a number of reasons, some of which I cover in the book. Um, so I, we haven't really discussed it that much. Um, but again, there's nothing in here that isn't true. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, with your background in television, I also have flashes of this being a TV show someday. A series, <laughs> the adventures of the, yeah, the adventures of Jen. <laughs> yeah, you're not the first person to say that. Um, I've had a couple of readers who have said a sitcom. Um, I've done a couple of interviews where where hosts have suggested a sitcom. 
uh, it's definitely something that I'm looking into. Um, I've also considered webisodes because um, the internet is so popular. Um, uh, so yeah, it's definitely something that I that I would like to pursue. Um, I just have to have to find uh, the right place to pitch it. <laughs> pitch and your idea. And you're listening to Conversation. My name is Peter Solomon. It's WIP Radio. My guest this morning into the home stretch now with Jan Epstein, her new book, Don't Get Too Excited. It's a story of fact. It's a story of fable. It's a story of obsessive compulsive disorder. It's a story of so many things all wrapped up together. Who do you want to read the book? I want everybody to read the book. Um, I think that there are aspects of this of these stories um, that anybody um, can relate to. You know, I found that out through my writers group. Um, I didn't I didn't think that that was going to be the case, but there. You know, I mean, anyone who has had a family member or um, who has gone through hospitalization can understand the the feelings of frustration over the bureaucracy or um, the dismissiveness. Um, so that's something that people understand. Um, when I write about, um, you know, uh, fighting with customer service, you know, people, people, people can relate to that. You know, even if there is a, uh, a deeper underlying message, um, that gets to the heart of OCD about just not being able to let things go. Um, there are always aspects of, of these stories that people, that, that resonate with people. So I want everybody to read it. But again, especially I, my, my goal is to normalize this condition. And I really hope that anyone who does struggle with any form of, of mental, of, of mental health, um, uh, will, you know, start to feel that they're not alone. And, um, you know, if, if, they, if, if they are um, concerned about seeking treatment or talking to their families or their spouse or partner, parents, about what they're going through, that they will feel more inclined to come out of the shadows um, and seek treatment and, and talk to their families about it. Has there been a reaction from mental health professionals other than your parents? <laughs> uh, my therapist. <laughs> she she read it. She um, and uh, yeah. I mean, you know what I try to do is even with the humor, I really try to um, put the reader in touch with what being in that particular situation at that time was like. What all the feelings and sensations and and worries and how that, you know, physically manifests itself, how that emotionally manifests itself, um, mentally, um, intellectually manifests itself. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she definitely, um, she definitely saw that and she definitely saw, um, you know, how difficult that was for me to, you know, to, to be able to, um, to put that into words and, um, uh, and, and um, how painfully accurate <laughs> a lot of it was. How, though, as you wrote the book, that's one thing. A lot of people may have a book in the drawer or in the computer or wherever. 
but to take it and throw it over the transom into a publisher, you know, even a small publisher like Green Writers Press. How did you get? To, how did you decide to do that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, all of these stories had been in their skeleton. A lot of these stories had been in their skeleton form through through writers group, and um, I entered this competition and won. And you know, I just decided that this is, you know, these are my these are the stories that um, that I wanted to share with people. That, that this is that it's you know again more common and um, and that I you know that humor can be used effectively um, to deal with any of our challenges in life, whether it be with mental health or um, or and depression or um, or uh, just going through some sort of um, uh, life challenge. Um, and, uh, you know, I just felt like this was the right, the right story to tell, um, the right, the, the right time, the, um, you know, the, you know, that our, with, with our world being, <laughs> you know, causing neuroses and causing stress for so many of us who have such busy lives, um, with our jobs and with our families and just all of the expectations and managing those expectations. I just felt like this was a story that um, uh, that people needed to hear. Yes, indeed. Um, what's the next book? You're going <laughs> to write that novel? Uh, well, my my comeback to my mom is I don't do fiction, <laughs> but so probably not. It will probably be another collection of essays. Um, I've actually thought about doing a graphic novel companion to this book, you know, because there's, there's one chapter where I talk about, um, about Costa Rica. And so I could just see, um, an illustrator doing a a great job of, (laughs) of showing me on the zip line and just like covering my eyes and screaming (laughs) when everyone else is exhilarated. I'm, you know, I'm frightful, so I could see that working in a graphic novel form. Um, and, um, yeah, and I've also just sort of talked about doing a trilogy. Um, so after Don't Get Too Excited, we have Don't Get Too Distracted as <laughs> the next one. Um, and, uh, yeah, and um, maybe some other uh where i get a little bit more into uh my my personal relationships um uh dealing more with intimacy so that's another thing that i that i've considered who taught you the power of laughter because that's really what you're about yeah um i don't think that anyone specific taught me the power of laughter um, I really taught myself, um, you know, that was just my, that became my way of coping. I don't think I was always funny. Maybe I was, but um, I just sort of developed a voice um, as an, you know, as an adult, I just started exploring humor more and more um, and just seeing how well it, it combats all of our, um, all of our struggles. Um, so with, you know, with some of all the ridiculousness 
sometimes I just said, okay, you have to laugh at this because if you can't laugh, what's the point of living at all? You know, I mean, it's just um, you, you have to see the humor in everyday situations. Otherwise, it just makes it so much more difficult to cope. Amen to that. And sometimes you got to laugh to keep from crying. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Who makes you laugh? Oh, so many people make me laugh. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my friends make me laugh. My family makes me laugh. Um, uh, different uh, TV shows and books make me laugh. Um, just <laughs> living in New York and walking down the street and seeing, you know, witnessing some of the, you know, the, the, the conversations or the incidents that will happen on the street or on the subway makes me laugh because... You know, again, even you know, even through what may seem frustrating or or stressful, it makes me laugh because it's like how how do we get ourselves into these ridiculous circumstances, <laughs> these these ridiculous situations? Now, sort of as a last question, Jen Epstein. Um, yes. It's the season of Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa. People are always looking for an interesting gift for somebody. And I, I'm a great believer in giving books as a gift. Why would, yes. you, why would I want to give somebody, don't get too excited? Well, this has sort of become my, my pitch. Is um, Nothing says the holidays like, some, like neuroses and somebody else's family dysfunction. <laughs> so you want to escape from your own stress of the holidays? Read about my, read about my life instead. <laughs> so buy it as a gift, but read it first. Read carefully. And yes. I'd like to... <laughs> And I'd like to say thank you to Jen Epstein, her new book, Don't Get Too Excited. Jen, do you have a website? Uh, so I have a Facebook page. It's don'tgettooexcitedbook.com. Um, you can purchase the book on indiebound.org or barnesandnoble.com or any of your local independent bookstores. Um, and uh, I have a Twitter account um, at DGTE. And um, also an Instagram account, DGTE Book. So you can get in touch with me of all those ways, and a website is in progress. And I admire you for putting it all out there, Jane Epstein, author of the new book, Don't Get Too Excited. Thank you. Thank you. And it's been another edition of Conversation here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. It's going to be a chilly WIP Sunday out there. So dress warmly as you're out and about doing your holiday thing or just your general life maintenance or just hanging out. No matter where you go, take us with you. Always good conversation. Thank you to Phil Jackson this morning's producer. Nothing left to say, but see you soon.